Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to this uh, podcast uh, from Herbert Smith Freehills. Today, we're going to be looking at the South African uh, State Capture Commission, chaired by Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo. I am Brian Spiro, a partner in the uh, London Corporate Crime and Investigations team, and I have the pleasure of being joined by my colleague uh, Cameron Dunstan-Smith from our Johannesburg office. And Cameron, I'll jump straight in and ask you to explain in a few words what the commission was established for and what its uh, uh, task was uh, set out to uh, try and achieve. Thanks, Brian. So the Commission of Inquiry was uh, established in 2018. It kicked off in August 2018. And for the last nearly four years, uh, it's been investigating and conducting an inquiry into allegations of what has become termed state capture uh, in a South African context, looking at state-owned entities and maladministration, fraud, corruption, other white-collar crimes uh, involved in the, in the state entities, in a number of state entities in South Africa. Um, it's a, I should hasten to say that it's, it appears to be a court process. It's not a court process. It's a quasi-judicial process, and it really is a fact-finding and truth seeking process. So while there are findings and recommendations that are made, they're only that. They're not any binding evidence. Uh, the findings and recommendations that come out are recommendations made to the president. Uh, the evidence that is led and the documents that are led, while they may ventilate certain issues and bring them into the public for, and there are there is witness evidence and cross-examination, the findings and the evidence that is led uh, cannot be used against a person and needs to be reintroduced by a law enforcement agency, for example. So that's an important distinction. It's not people tend to think that this report now means that so-and-so is guilty of a certain offence. That's not the case. It's only part one of the, of the process when you t undertake a commission of inquiry. The recommendations made will still need to be taken further um, by the law enforcement agencies that the president directs to to take further action. The first and second report of the Commission of Inquiry came out in January and February, respectively. There should be another one coming out in the next four to six weeks, um, and we will take see what uh, what comes out of those further reports. And we'll, I guess we'll discuss a bit more now what uh, what actually. The reports contained and, and what the sort of landscape is looking now now that the process has concluded. Thank you. I, w I was reading some of the uh, press reports uh, that came out after part one was published and, and one in particular caught my eye that criticised the fact that there is no, not yet any executive summary. But I'm going to ask you, Cameron, in, in two sentences to give us your executive summary of, of the, the Commission's findings. So, yeah, as I said, there's been so much information that's gone through the the Commission of Inquiry. And I think the most difficult thing for people to accept is that all this information now exists. It's been it's been ventilated in the public sphere. And so there is and I think South Africa needed it. We needed to understand what was going on in our state structures, where the public money was going you know, and who was uh, looting the coffers. And uh, so that has all been exposed and there have been various findings made about that and some of the wrongdoers have been named and shamed and there have been recommendations about further investigation that needs to happen with the view to prosecuting some of those people or recovering some of the money that's gone missing. And so in a nutshell, we've had four years of this big outpouring of information. It's now been distilled into a report. Well, 
three volumes of the report. And the recommendations have been made to the president. Included in those recommendations, not only are, you know, it was X or Y public entity, which was captured by A or B individual with the help of and the Z or F company benefited. The it's it, the first report in particular went more it, it went deeper than just making recommendations about what the findings were of the allegations and who the recommendation uh, of the find what the findings of the allegations were and the recommendations in relation to those findings are it went um further to make certain findings about certain recommendations about what the state needs to do to deal with that. So for example, they made the report made finding made recommendations, I apologize, uh, for whistleblower protection. It made recommendations for creating a special anti-corruption task force that would assist uh, the state agencies in investigating and prosecuting corruption by co-opting uh, people in from from the private sector and resources in from the private sector. Um, so it's those kind of recommendations that were contained in the report. It, it wasn't just, you know, this is what this is who done it, <laughs> who done it. Um, it. It was broader than that. It was this is how we think, you know, the state could take it forward in terms of helping it redress the the findings that were made. And uh, I, I haven't found the answer. It may not exist. But was there has there any global figure been given to the level at which state money has gone astray, has been looted or defrauded? There is a global figure, and it, I, I don't have it at the top of my head, but it is billions and billions of rands. Uh, it's it's astronomical. Um, and so, you know, I think that that doesn't help the public <laughs> to sleep at night to know that this has happened and, and this money is gone, uh, because the public has no expectations uh, as to what should happen. And it says, well, so-and-so stood up on in the witness box and said, Joe Soap benefited in this way. Surely he now needs to go to jail. And in reality, it's going to take a lot more work and a, it's going to be a lot longer road before that actually happens. So that's the challenge where, you know, the figures about what was being stolen, how much corruption there was, how much fraud there was taking place. But now what needs to happen is, you know, the the remedial action needs to happen. Uh, in order to to satiate the the public, and I think that's going to be the most difficult task for for the government is how they deal with that. Yeah, and and certainly a lot of the reports I've read have have basically praised the report uh, as being a very solid and, and good piece of work, but ask the question: What will happen to this report? Will it just lie on the shelf gathering dust, or will there be uh, investigations commenced uh, and proceedings begun and attempts presumably to recover the money. What, what's your view on those those big questions? Yeah, I think that's a good comment. So the there's been such a huge amount of resources uh, dedicated to running this commission of inquiry for the last four years. Um, there's been, you know, a lot, it's been a bit of a political hot potato in terms of the allegations made against people running the commission and it's this agenda, it's that agenda. And so well done to them for managing to navigate that minefield and, and get through the other end. Um, and I think those same challenges are going to exist when it comes to trying to take things forward. There's going to be, uh, you know, obviously the parties uh, who are implicated are going to do whatever they can to resist 
uh, what needs to happen from a, a prosecution perspective, from an investigation perspective, enforcement, recovery, whatever, what it, whatever needs to happen next. And I think that's the biggest challenge is, is how do they do that? As I said, a lot of resources went into making this process happen. The South African government does not have the resources it needs to deal with all the information that's come out. And so the government's going to have to be, or the law enforcement agencies are going to have to be quite targeted and quite specific about which issues they want to prioritize and, you know, really take forward as their first targeted investigations or prosecutions or, or, or recovery um, processes, because that is, that's the challenge is trying to, you know, see the wood for the trees here. And, and you know, it feels a bit like the, uh, the commission of inquiry was drinking through a fire hose and with the amount of information coming to them. And it's, it's not that easy to then convert that into meaningful prosecutions, certainly not in all the issues that were ventilated. So the government's going to have to uh, really be precise. And that will also uh, create additional headaches for them because then the, the, the challenges will be, well, you've gone after A and not B. That's a, a biased view or, or whatever it is. Uh, there's an agenda behind that, which probably less likely to be the case. And it's more likely be, to be a resources or capacity issue within the, the National Prosecuting Authority or the other enforcement agencies. And I appreciate it's very early days, but have there been any indications so far from prosecuting authorities as to where their focus will be or, or how seriously they are taking the results of the commission? So I think the one thing that was different in this commission to other commissions, so commissions of inquiry um, are, as I said, uh, established by the president through the constitution and various other legislation which empowers the commission. And the terms of reference are the guiding document for any commission of inquiry. And at probably halfway through the this commission, the terms of reference were amended to allow enforcement authorities access to the evidence leaders and access to the evidence that had been provided in the commission. So while they still have to go in and investigate that evidence themselves and, and lead that again in a prosecution sense or, or civil recovery sense, um, that's been made available to them much earlier than as of, you know, when the commission ended in December last year. It's not like they're only getting that information now. So there has been some efforts to try and get a, a lead on on the investi- on the investigations they want to to pursue, um, and so that that's a little different to other commissions of inquiry that have that have taken place previously. Uh, in this case, there was a bit more of an effort to to provide that information up front and to have cooperation between the commission and enforcement agencies, so that the the agencies could, you know, have an easier job of of doing what they need to do after the commission's uh, completed. So for those parties that have been implicated and named in the report, be it individuals or corporates, what are the implications for them uh, as things currently uh, stand? So I guess there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, the state entities will, as I mentioned up front, this was very much focused on maladministration within uh, state entities. Obviously, they're, you know, external actors who were involved in, in on the on the supply side of whatever took place. And on the demand side within the the government organizations, there were people employed there um, who were who have been implicated in in wrongdoing. So I would think they're probably most at risk from an immediate sense. Uh, they're the the easiest targets, I guess, for enforcement agencies. Um, corporates, I think, face a slightly different challenge if there's a you know a corporate and there have been a number of corporates that have been 
um, implicated. I think the immediate risk probably lies um, in a reputational sense where their their name, their brand has been dragged um, through the process for, for the last four years and now ventilated again in the reports that are coming out. Um, so that's probably more of an immediate uh, risk to them from a brand perspective, from a reputational risk perspective. I think the other uh, challenge, particularly for foreign corporates that are subject to the FCPA or the Bribery Act or what have you, um, is that information would have been presented and implicating, may have been presented, implicating their organization in some kind of corrupt act or fraudulent act, which may raise the alarm to regulators in their own in their own jurisdictions or own jurisdictions that have jurisdiction over them, like the US or the UK. And they may find themselves facing, you know, inquiries or investigations outside of South Africa before um, the company does in South Africa. Uh, and I, that's mainly due to just the, the volume that the South African government are going to have to deal with and the agent, law enforcement agencies are going to have to deal with here. Um, we don't have the resources uh, to take on everything. So while company A may be at the back of the queue from a South African perspective in another jurisdiction, that might be something that's picked upon uh, or picked up by another regulator you know, far earlier, and it may never be picked up in South Africa. So that's going to be, you know, a separate challenge for them. Um, so I think individuals are probably, if I were an individual that was implicated, I'd probably be a little more uh, concerned about the immediate risk. And if I was a corporate that's implicated, I'd be concerned about other risks outside of South Africa. And as I mentioned, reputational issues, etc. So sort of final question really is about lessons to be learned. And, 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 and if I uh, if we were to think about uh, companies who had in no way named or implicated doing business in South Africa or companies thinking about doing business in South Africa or, or, or indeed uh, for the wider continent, are there lessons to be learned that have come out of the commission that they should be considering? So I think what strikes me is the commission inquiry spanned 2009 to, I guess it started in 2018, not that it excluded issues that happened after 2018, but from 2009 to 2018 was really the focal period. And you think that surely by 2009, most companies had good controls over their subsidiaries doing work in Africa and elsewhere. And I think that's shown not to have been the case. So um, for a global brand, uh, you're still, even though we're sort of into the 2020s now, um, need to make sure that you're on top of what is happening in your operations, wherever they're operating in the world, um, you know, more so in Africa because of the you know the heightened corruption corruption risk on the continent. So, from a lessons learned perspective, I think staying on top and of what's going on globally is you know vitally important, more so than ever, particularly because of the emphasis that's been placed on it for so long since 2010 with the Bribery Act, for example, and you know the Section 7 offence, etc. Those kind of issues, I think, are are still remain um, top of mind for, for companies. And in terms of a sort of, I guess, more altruistic um, and sort of corporate citizenship aspect, um, I think companies need to make sure that they are doing the right thing. And, uh, you know, there's a, a very much a focus, and I think you and I have chatted about it previously, about some of the um, comments made in, in the UK courts about how corporates need to take more of a moral view than just a legal view of of what uh, should be happening within their organizations. And I think particularly if it were come, to come to light that a, a company was involved in some future commission of inquiry or, or, or scandal, the, the company's conduct 
all along through the process that is now being ventilated in a very public forum would be scrutinized and probably would be taken into account um, by a court at some point in future. So companies, I think, need to do more than the bare minimum of just keeping their noses clean. I think they need to you know, make sure that they are demonstrating uh, that they're a good corporate citizen. And it's also good for you know the African continent needs that. We need corporates to not be giving in to as I said, the the, the demand side um, of, of the corruption piece. Yeah, well, that's really interesting, Cameron, and, and appreciate you've uh, summarised in a few minutes what's a hugely lengthy and complex uh, commission, and, and, and very grateful for that. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Good to see you.